Welcome to the Miami Real Estate Podcast, your home for expert insight on all things Miami real estate. I'm your host, Omar DeWin. Let's get started. Hello, my friends, and welcome back to the Miami Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Omar DeWin, Communications Executive here at Surveyor Real Estate. Today, we are going to take another look at Senate Bill 4D. That's at all important uh, litigation impacting condominium associations in the wake of the tragic Surfside Towers collapse at the Champlain Towers. Uh, today, we're going to look at it from the perspective of the consumer, the uh, homeowner, and the investor, a uh, slightly different angle. Uh, leading us through the conversation today is going to be our guest, John Cadden, a seasoned expert from the Condominium Advisory Group, where he serves as managing partner. Uh, together, we're going to explore the intricate details of this bill uh, with using leveraging John's wealth of experience and insight um, to uh, shed light on the legal framework of this bill. So, John, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Of course. So, uh, just to jump right into it, right into the waters, uh, could you let our listeners know, John, um, how has Senate Bill 4D changed the game for condominium owners associations? I think the most important aspect of it is that if you are three stories or above, you can never waive your reserves until they change this ruling. And I do not believe that they are going to anytime soon. Um, and I think the most impactful part of that is, is that condo associations for years have either waived reserves entirely or underfunded what the reserve studies they did show uh, showed what they should have going for the reserves. And now you're facing a situation where by the prior to the end of next year, 1231-24, you have to complete the SIRS reserve study and you have to follow it in your 25 budget. And I think there's that along with the insurance industry in Florida is going to be a huge increase in assessments to condominium owners all over the state. So, um, sort of breaking that down a step further, uh, we, we talked about homeowners, consumers, investors. So I guess let's start with the homeowners. So you're living in a building, a condominium, let's say you're above the third floor. Um, what, so what exactly, how, how does that affect me now moving forward? So you have a condominium, be it a three-story building or a high rise, and you're going to get this structural integrity reserve survey, uh, study. And in it, they're going to go through everything and its useful life and the condition of it and try to figure out what you need to reserve for the next 30 years in order to fund all the activities you need to to maintain your property. And in the past, when that occurred, a reserve study would come out and they'd say, listen, you got to put half a million dollars away a year for the next 30 years. And the board looked at it and said, well, we're going to do 100. And then they sent out a letter to all the owners and asked them to vote to waive the reserve amount that they was required in the study. And homeowners are pretty simple. You are asked to pay more money and you vote against it. And you're asked to pay less money and you vote for it. So there's been a crisis building up in properties and the older properties that it hurts even more where they just have not been maintained properly. They have not reserved money properly and things come up. 
Now let's take, take this back to what was the genesis of this, and that's Champlain Towers. And that's what started this movement in the legislature, uh, because what happened there was an extreme example of a situation where a, a condo association was not doing the repairs it needed to do, didn't have the money for it, and voted against doing it, or even doing a special assessment to do it. So that's that's where this movement started. Interesting. And I guess we should clarify just for those that aren't super familiar with 4D, what are the other sort of benchmarks of the bill? So it, I believe it's buildings over, what was it, 20 years, 25 years? It's 30. Well, then if your building is over 30 years old, you have to do a milestone report. And the milestone report and is really the structural components of the building. The term uh, SIRS, which is Structural Integrity Reserve Study, makes it sound like that's the, the structural study. It will take it as, uh, it'll take in some of those components, but a milestone report is a lot more intense engineering report. And that's when they're gonna specifically look at the foundations of your building, the structural components, That'll be everything up to the roofs and really tell you whether you pass. And that study has to be reported under the new law to the local municipality. So you're, you're asking a structural engineer to come in and look. If they see something that concerns them, there's no benefit to them to not report it. Sure. So you're, you're facing the potential of having things being reported to the local authority uh, and getting building violations and being forced to do projects a lot faster than you may have wanted to. Um, and the liability. Now, the other components are that after beginning January 1st, 2025, individual board members take on liability for not following these rules. So while there's not a, a condo police force out there where the, you know, the division isn't funded enough to have people checking on this, but any homeowner, any municipality can report report that and there will be trouble. So now you're looking at having to get insurance for the uh, board of directors, for your officers, and you're asking people now to take on that liability serving on a board. And that's a big leap for someone who says, wait a minute, I'm willing to give my time, I'm willing to do those things, but I don't want to be in a board and everyone else votes against it. And I wanted to do the right thing and they wouldn't. So people at that point will resign or they'll report them or they'll do nothing and take the risks. So it's a lot riskier situation for everyone on the board side beginning one one twenty five. Wow. So there's there's the risk involved that you mentioned. I think there's also in, in a scenario where let's say we are the homeowners or in an association or buildings over 30 years old, uh, maybe uh, this assessment the, or the, the study is showing that there's big costs that are required to, let's say, bring the building up to code. I think the logical thing for many owners may be that they want to then sell uh, if they can't afford or they don't want to incur that cost, right? So, but then I guess the inverse or on the other side of the equation, if I'm the potential buyer or an investor and I'm looking at how is this, you know, how viable is this potential purchase and what's it going to cost me or what returns can I make? Obviously, an assessment looming is going to make that 
acquisition a lot less uh, viable, right? I, I, I think I think so. And I think there's another thing to look at. Florida, as compared to any other state, has the highest percentage of investor-owned condominium units. Now, there isn't a study out that proves out every other state, but, and especially uh, the condo conversion deals where they were originally rentals and then converted to condos, still have a huge percentage of investors. Some of the very high-end condominiums or things that were built as condominiums from the get-go typically have a higher level of home ownership, uh, homesteads there, but the converted buildings for sure still have a lot of investors. And after the crash, where prices just went way down in 2008, and there was a huge amount of foreclosures, a lot of investors and from all over the world have picked up units. And these are a lot of sight unseen buyers. There's buyers in Florida that never have even seen their unit. It's always rented. It's never been something they were going to use. And the, the, the system for selling units is you only get so much information. So you're a broker, you have a client, they buy something as an investment. They don't get a lot of information from the condo association. They can potentially get the budget, um, meeting minutes, but many times people don't even ask for it. So you buy something, it's got a tenant in it, the number looks good, and you never know what's going on. I think that's going to change because right now it's under review with Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac that they're going to start looking into this a lot further when they do loans, uh, if it is a warrantable condominium. And again, with high investor concentrations, you don't get Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac uh, financing. In addition, condo questionnaires aren't always being done right. And that depends on the condominium and who's managing it and who the board members are. So I think all these things are going to start to happen. And if you're an educated buyer, you're going to start asking these questions. Mm -hmm. um, so a lot of it's going to depend on the information flow that happens out there in the world and, and what brokers that are representing buyers are, are going to be as forthright as they should be to protect their buyers as well. And no one knows how that's going to go. Sure. And I think it's hard. So then let, let's let's talk about sort of possible solutions or uh, exit strategies, let's say, for buildings that uh, find themselves in a maybe uh, not that, that viable of a, of a scenario, let's say. Uh, and that brings me to the topic of condo conversion versus deconversion, uh, so to speak. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So... And every building won't fall into this category, but uh, for instance, you could be, you could have the triple play, which is your insurance we've all know is almost doubled in a lot of buildings and we're not seeing a lot of relief for that. And then it doesn't help when a hurricane comes through and that's always looming out there, but we are down to very few insurers. So that's a cost that everyone's picking up. Then you have the cost of uh, that is going to come from the increased reserve amounts. And that's going to hit the assessments further. And then the last piece, the triple part of the triple play is what do you have to do now? And what projects have you put off that you no longer can because either you're in violation or when they did your reserve study, they said, listen, your roofs haven't been done in 30 years. Your, your, your uh, outside walls are leaking in and there's rot. Um, any kind of thing that is in that nature in the building. So those initial few years, you may have a, a larger amount of construction to do because it's called for. 
And so what's really going to happen is you're going to have to look at what your building is worth. If it wasn't a condo, how much money you're going to have to borrow to fix it? What's that going to do to your value? And it's going to really take a hard look to know that maybe uh, we the word terminate sounds really uh, kind of harsh. Deconversion is a lot nicer word. But the bottom line is we have seen many buildings and even in this higher interest rate market that are worth more to a one buyer to keep it as a, a, a homogeneous rental project as opposed to a number of different owners. So, and you can cut me off anytime you want. No, this is interesting. But when you're, let's just take a, a 400 unit garden apartment complex as an example that was converted before 2008. Most of these projects are still 90% plus rentals. And there are some bulk buyers in some of these projects, but let's say, let's say even half the project was owned by one, one owner. They own 200 of the units. They rent all theirs out. They control the board. Uh, um, they're making the decisions. And the other 200 units are owned by 150 people. You know, there's some people have a couple of units. You're operating a property with 350 owners. With, uh, well, I'd say 161, 151 unit, unit owners because you got a bulk owner. But you're looking at different standards for interiors, leasing guidelines. Uh, some people bought after the crash, they can keep the rents as low as they can. They just want to keep it filled. One unit might have a totally redone interior and the other one's got the original interior and the original air conditioning from the day it was done. So it's an inefficient model to operate a property in a condominium regime that's really a rental. And so it throws out there the opportunity to say, look, if one person controlled this whole thing, the condo regime was gone and they operate it like a normal multifamily. And most of these will be what we call value add properties. They'll standardize the interiors. They'll upgrade the common areas and they're going to control all the rents that come in. And so there is a, and there's only so much product of, of this type that isn't condo. So there's a whole market of buyers that want to buy, and these are more institutional or larger operator buyers that buy that size of deal. And it just might be better for the condominium to take the price, which will be higher most likely than they could get on the open market. So you're, so, oh, sorry. Well, I was just saying, you know, when everybody starts to realize what's hitting them, everybody can't put their market the units on the market at the same time. That's a disaster too. Right. So all these forces are kind of coming at each other and meeting somewhere in the middle and it's going to be a bit of an explosion. And uh, to make sure I'm following you uh, correctly. So, and one scenario that you're painting is that let's say the building uh, is, um, is independent owners, let's say, but you're, you're saying that you, uh, an institutional buyer would come in and then turn that former residential building into a rental apartment. Is that what you guys are referring to? Okay. Because I've been we've recently we've recently in the past uh, eighteen months completed transactions like that, and we're and our company, Condominium Advisory Group, uh, is working on transactions to do just that as we speak. So, so we're processing some of the transactions, and we own 
condominiums and have been in the condominium business since the crash um, through one of our other entities, we've been buying and selling and, and, and uh, accumulating condo units and different projects. Um, and so this, this has become a very good exit strategy for the right project in the right place at the right time. Right. Like it, this is interesting because of what I have heard of um, in the past is let's say a developer uh, would come in and uh, make an offer to all the owners to tear down and maybe build a, a new construction high rise. So your, your business essentially helps as another uh, alternative is to have the uh, association essentially sell to the institutional investor that will not tear down, but rather sort of retrofit and then reposition the building as a rental uh, rental condominium. Right, which it, well, and again, it wouldn't be a condo anymore. It would be just a one owner, one pin. But I, I wanna say we do, we are uh, in, in talks with some of the land plays, which for lack of a letter, lack of a better word, those properties that are in great locations. But let's face it, most people don't live on the ocean. And most of the properties that were you're that you get you hear about in the news are on the ocean. They're on the beach. And there again, um that is not the norm. Yes, that makes sense. That makes a lot of there sense. There are many more properties that aren't on the ocean. Um that their land value is never going to be uh worth more than um than they are kept as a rental. Uh, it's just, those are extreme cases. And in those cases, um, they don't always, some have gone well, but they're, ha but they get great press and it's a very, it's a sexy story, you know, in real estate, I, I've been in this 38 years. And I remember when I first, uh, in my early career, I was a commercial mortgage broker before I became a chief investment officer and, uh, late 98 of a, of, a, of a very large condominium converter based in Chicago. And um, so buying a, a building and ripping it down and building a, a new tower on it really sounds great, but that's very difficult and time consuming. And there's lots of things in the way. Um, and it's sort of like buying notes. Like some people talk about buying, I'm going to buy this first mortgage position. I'm going to foreclose the person out and own it. And it sounds great. Or I'm going to buy the taxes and I'm going to own the property. But it rarely happens that way. Usually you get paid back uh, or someone redeems their taxes. So the land plays are great, but you really got to be in a place. And I don't know, there are some off-ocean sites where that might work. But for the most part, most of the uh, condos are not in those locations. But if you're already a rental property hiding in a condominium regime is how I like to describe it. Um, you know, people talk about throwing people out of their homes. Well, yes, some people who live there are going to lose. If that happens, they're gonna to have to leave their home or they can rent from the new owner. But the bottom line is when you've got, you know, 300, 400 units and maybe uh, 18, 20 people live there and the rest are all renters, those renters can stay. They're not asked to leave. You know, someone buying a property doesn't want everybody to walk out the door on day one. Um, sure. And then under the Florida statutes, there is a termination provision. And if you follow those rules, um, there's protections in there for homeowners. There's protections for renters. There's lots of different things that occur 
but it's a process. So let's talk about that for a second, because, you know, your your business condominium advisory group, you you specialize in helping, uh, say, these um, buildings that are not uh, on the water. Maybe it's mainland there. They would be perfect for this sort of like rental conversion. How exactly does your business go about helping those owners? And what are the biggest mistakes that condo owners associations make when deconverting a property? Well, I think the biggest mistake that any of them make is is not going through a proper termination process. Uh, and that's been the case on the on the land deals is the developers have gone in and bought out as many, well, they'll try to get 95% of the units so that they can effectuate their termination. Uh, under Florida Statute 718 and what they call Kaufman language, back after the crash, when there was a lot of partially completed conversion deals or, or new construction that never got sold out and there was a lot of units, the the old termination laws were really related to casualty and insurance provisions. So let's say you had a condominium and three buildings burnt down and the insurance company didn't make sense to rebuild them. You could terminate the condo, reconstitute it. Um, and that's really what no one was thinking that this was going to happen. But now it started happening after the crash where you had to terminate condos and they changed the law and the law that in the in the statute is that if you build a new condominium today or convert a project condominium in order to terminate it you have to get 80 percent approval to to have a termination and you can have no more than five percent of the owners say no or object so it sounds like 95 percent but really you could terminate with 80 and then the other 20 percent of the people that either didn't vote or want to object have the right to object and you, you can't have more than five percent uh, of the whole or 25 percent of that remaining 20 and that's a lot of protection for owners because all it takes is five percent of people to object and there's no termination um, but what the developers have done on the ocean is they've bought 95 or they've they give people contracts that say when we get to 95 percent of the ownership will close. So they go to each individual owner and they negotiate with each individual owner, put their units under contract. And when they get to the 95% level, they close on everything. Then they go through a termination process and there's still some hurdles they have to get through because even the 5% that they didn't get can object or try to take them to court. There's been some recent cases they don't necessarily succeed in court, but it still slows the process up. Whereas when you do a termination properly, if you are able to get the 80% approval and don't have the 5% objections, you ever, and you've got approval from the division, which there's really no reason unless you wrote your plan wrong or skipped a step in the process, you're gonna have an approved termination, which means you can pass title all at once to a new buyer subject to the uh, uh, termination plan. So it really gives you uh, a better path. You asked, the first question you asked was, what's the mistake they make? Well, let's talk about board members. Most board members are volunteers. Now, sometimes they represent a bulk ownership interest or they own a number of units, but it's a lot of work. You have to get all the paperwork done properly. You have to, uh, uh, you have to follow all the rules. You have to contact all the owners, get signed 
uh, documents from them for the termination. And it is, and management companies aren't set up to do this. They're there to manage. So what happens is, is you have, a, a in our case, a third party that comes in and does all that work, uh, mainly on a contingency basis, and knows how to do it and make sure that all the steps are filed correctly um, with the proper reporting to the board and whatnot. Um, so it's not the people aren't sitting back, but the board has to be a part of the process and that they're agreeing to it and um, allowing the plan to go out. But it is a lot of work and it's very hard to track down everybody that owns condominiums, especially when you have a big investor base. They're all over the world, South America, China, Africa, Europe, it, Australia. So there's just a lot of legwork involved. And then there's the liability that uh, a board of directors takes over by acting on their own in this process. They could potentially be the target. And not that we want to be a target, but we're, we're a fiduciary in that situation, just as the board members are. And we're a lot more comfortable um, stepping in front of that fire and being the buffer between the ownership and the board. Because we've done it before and, and, and we feel comfortable doing it. And sort of uh, paint the the broad, I guess, strokes of what that process working with a company like like such as your yours uh, looks like from start to finish. Well, the first step is we're evaluating, um, and we're looking at all the challenges you're facing um, from the construction side, the the cost side. Uh, your reserve study uh, uh, issues, your, you know, what, what's happening to your budget. And so the first thing we're trying to do is sort of, sort of like what, what a, a bankruptcy attorney, which the big firms now call it restructuring, does to a company. The first thing I tell you is we want to do everything we can to save your property. We're not looking to do it. It's kind of a last resort. So the first thing we do is we come in and we we look at everything. We bring in, and we we will bring third party experts in. We do valuations. We do market uh, work on what's happening with individual sales. We look at what the property would sell for if it was a rental community. So we don't we don't walk in the door and say let's let's go. We try to put together information and do a presentation uh, to the board that gives them their options and tells them what they're facing. And, and so the first step in everything is information. And we believe, and I believe in my entire career, that everybody makes a better decision when they have all the information they can possibly garner in front of them. They may not like what they see, and they may not want to do what they should do, because we can't force boards to do that. Um, and they may seek other opinions, but eventually, you reach a you reach a point where people make a decision, um, and it's typically an economic decision at the end of the day. Uh, do I want to you know be special assessed for thousands of dollars a unit plus my assessments are going up a hundred, two hundred, three hundred percent, or do I want to make more money than I probably could selling it individually, and move on and and repurpose my uh, asset and do something else. And so we try to start there. If the if we can find a way to fund the association's needs, help them find the loans they need to do their construction work and make it e economically viable for them, and that's where they want to go, we're, we're, we're there. But if they want to go the termination route, then we go into termination mode 
And that involves probably more education and communication with condominium unit owners than they've ever had before. And that's another big part of what we do is, is create the educational information flow so people know what's going on. And I always ask, I, I don't know uh, if you live in a, uh, in a single family home, Omar, or you live in a condominium now? Single family, yeah. Have you ever lived in a condominium? Oh yeah, almost my entire life up until COVID. <laughs> okay, so here's here's a question and not mean to embarrass anyone because it's a pretty oh, common answer. How many board meetings did you attend? A zero. <laughs> okay, exactly. So that's that's the starting point. We, you know, I serve on several boards uh, uh, and have over the years uh, and my partner uh, uh, even more boards than I, I've been on um, because when we were doing condo conversions, we'd always make him uh, the president of the board till we turned it over. So he, he was really on it. You know, we don't get in attendance at these board meetings, even today, you average two or three owners that come to every meeting and maybe a few more that show up. And usually when they come, I call them single issue owners. I don't like the landscaping. My roof leaks. The, my area, you know, it's your fault that this is happening. The parking's a problem. It's something that they're coming to the meeting because they just aren't either getting the answer they want, and sometimes management hasn't done the right communication to them. But they're single issue owners. We have a hard time getting people to serve on committees. You know, you want to you want to have a budget committee. You want to have a fine committee. All the things you need to do to run it. People just don't participate. So that's the starting point is how do we contact all these people, get them to participate, make sure they have the right information and that they're seeing it and looking at it. And, and that's that involves a lot of man hours and a lot of uh, staff um, to contact these people. Um, and in many cases, even the condo association doesn't have current information on them. You know, within the age of uh, portals and where you sign up for a portal and you pay through a portal, you may never even look at your mail from an association because you put it on automatic payment. Sure. Then you have all the management companies that are running these individual units for the owners. And they don't really pass on that much to the owners because the owners aren't looking at it anyway. So they'll be running uh, uh, someone's unit for three, five, seven, eight, ten 10 years. And it's just the people just get a statement and they get their money. And the only time they talk to the managers when they find out they got to replace the air conditioning or they need a new refrigerator, <laughs> then, they, then they're thinking, maybe I need a new manager. Something's wrong. And, you know, it's so it's a real silent world out there that encompasses condominium investment property. Absolutely. And so let me ask, because you, you give great uh, insights for the 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 homeowner uh the investor right the, the consumer um many of our our listeners are realtors um what they may also be homeowners and and uh and consumers but as realtors uh if those who have listings or active listing agreements with an owner in one of these buildings that you describe and let's say the building ends up um employing your services what does that mean for the realtor in the equation that that may have had an active listing with said building well, there's good news and bad news. I mean, the good news is until 
once a termination has been approved, until that third party single buyer, and it'll go to market with one of the institutional property, commercial multifamily uh, uh, companies that are that know that market, anybody can still sell their unit. It's subject to the termination plan. Um, but some people do want to get out. It is going to impact the realtors if buildings terminate because those, those listings are going to go away. Sure. And so it's a tough pill to swallow. But at the same time, uh, there's another part of it is, is people that are going to be taking listings that are overpriced above the market with sellers who are unrealistic aren't going to sell them anyways. That's true. And uh, the, the flip side of it is if they are going to market and the board and the owners are avoiding and aren't taking steps and don't want to do what they need to do, then they have to wonder if they're putting people into an investment or potentially someone moving into a, using it as their home, that they may be putting into a really bad situation. And there are realtors who would never do that and don't want to do it. And I think that's the majority, but I always believe in the 80-20 rule in life. And that is 80% of the readers are going to be like, I'm, I'm staying away from this. This is bad. But there's a 20% who, you know, they they just, they want to make the sale. They want to make their fee. And you never know. Well, I think the the maybe the, the, the good news or the best case scenario here is for the realtors, get your owners in an older building like this to uh to to sell let's say through a company like yours right institutionally and now they freed up some cash flow to go buy a new property with their realtors right so absolutely and and, and you know a lot of it is especially for the investors it's a 1031 exchange for them mm -hmm. you know they're gonna they're gonna and especially in these buildings because there's a lot of people that bought 10 12 years ago uh and they've just been sitting so you bought something out of foreclosure in the crash that you know, now it's selling for $150,000, $160,000. You bought it for forty. So those kind of owners aren't really motivated to do anything because if you've owned it for 10 plus years and you bought it for $40,000, you can keep your rent low. You can spend very little money. You've probably got most of your money back. So you're not in any hurry to do anything. But when you suddenly find out that, wait a minute, I'm not going to get any cash flow. Uh, I may have to uh, pay a big special assessment or, or my assessments are going to go up. That's, that's a, that's when people say, Hey, I, I don't want to do this. Sure. Uh, so, but again, it, it's that sleeping, you know, don't kick a sleeping dog. They say, or don't kick a lying dog. Well, a lot of people that have owned these for a long time, there's just no reason to do anything. They're not, they're not worried about it. Okay. If I make 600 a month instead of you know, 800, that's fine. But when the 600 turns to zero or a negative 200, then they start, you start waking those people up. So I think you're exactly right. The realtors of these customers have, have an opportunity to repurpose their money into a different investment and different property. I like it, John. Um, I'm, I'm out of time, but final, this has been, this has been uh, very enlightening final um, sort of word from you. Uh, my listeners there that are the homeowners, right? Or even realtors who, who know homeowners in this situation, what's the sort of quick checklist where if I'm at, I'm asking myself and the answer is yes, 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 they should be contacting uh, your services? Well, I think uh, that the, the uh, condominium owners who are either board members or not board members 
should be looking at their situation and realizing that they need uh, expert help. And they need people that uh, know the business of condominiums on a daily basis and are there to give them options. Um, and there are unit owners who are suffering through properties because they can't get on the board, they can't get voted on, they don't like what they see and they see trouble coming. And there's board members that are trying to figure out what to do and looking for answers. But I think the most important issue that I'm seeing now is that it's sort of like our Congress in the United States. We all believe, I think the majority of Americans believe that our Senate and our, and our House of Representatives should have term limits, that we can't have people serving forever and ever. But who are the people that get to vote on that? It's our senators and House of Representatives. So you're asking those people to vote themselves term limits. And in condos, it's sort of the same thing. Everyone knows they have to spend more, but they got to vote to do it. And I think they need to remember that, that that's going to be over, not by their own choice. And the board of directors who have spent years keeping costs down, trying to make it affordable and not driving people out by ruining the value with the cost going up, that's been the right thing to do in their minds, but it's over for them. And they have to come to grips with, you're not going to be able to do a kind of a half-baked job on anything anymore. So that's my advice to people is if you're frustrated, if you're not sure what to do, we're going to, we're going to give you options and tell you here, here's the facts on the ground. Here's what you're facing. And again, I think when people have good options and bad options side by side, they'll get to the right place and what works for them, I hope. I like it. I love it. We're going to leave it there, John. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, this was John Cadden, not to be confused with John Madden, um, managing principal of the condominium advisory group. Great information today, John. We're going to include your information in the show notes, phone number, website. Uh, any listeners that are curious, reach out. As John said, options uh, options are a great thing to have. So um, thank you, John. Uh, and thank you for listening, everybody. Until next time, remember that here in Miami, the future is always bright. Take care, everyone. Thanks, Omar.